Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. A couple personal things to let you know about up front. My solo show, Escape Plan, opens next Thursday, March 17th at Miles McHenry Gallery. Come by the opening at 5 to 7 p.m. at 511 West 22nd Street. A fun fact about 511 West 22nd Street It was where I had my first show in New York City in 1999 at then Max Protech Gallery. So it's been a long time coming since I've showed again at this space. And excited to show a bunch of new paintings and an animation called Escape Plan based on a lot of imagery over the past couple years being in quarantine. So check that out. Also, big news, the Sound and Vision podcast book is available for pre-order. Why I Make Art offers readers an intimate, contemplative view from 30 remarkable creators with compelling stories, entertaining and thoughtful anecdotes, examining themes as varied as music and skateboarding, immigration and statelessness, community and identity. Artists included Diana Al-Hadi, Jules de Ballancourt, Gregory Crutz and Heather Day, Inka Essenhigh, Amir Falah, Louis Fertino, Dominique Fung, Carl Funk, Allison Janae Hamilton, Loie Hallowell, Khalil Robert Irving, Chris Martin, Tony Mattelli, Jeff McFedridge, Liz Nielsen, Carl Austin Darb, Aaron Riley, Devin Shimoyama, James Sienna, Colleen Smith, Robin Williams, Salman Tour, and many more. There's images of the artist's work and even some of the guestbook sketches that artists have made after our podcast. There's some really great quotes in there. And my old friend Rishi, who you may know from the Song Exploder podcast and the Netflix series, was kind enough to write the foreword to the book. If you go to soundandvisionpodcast.com and click on the SNV book page, you can find info and a link to Altilier Editions, who's publishing the book, and pre-order a copy today. I'm hoping it's a big source of inspiration for people. It was fun to put together. It's taken a long time, but I'm really excited for this podcast to exist outside the audio realm and in the book realm. So check it out on the soundandvisionpodcast.com website. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes some of the best acrylic paints and mediums that you can use. They also make core watercolors and Williamsburg oil paints, which are equally exceptional. You can find them at your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Seattle-based Fulcrum makes incredible coffee, which you can get delivered to your door. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com and use the code ALFREDSTUDIO for 20% off your order. That's an exclusive just for Sound and Vision listeners. Check out their site and their coffee today. Andrew Schultz is an artist born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who lives and works in Los Angeles. He received his BFA in illustration from the Academy of Arts University in San Francisco and has participated in several international solo and group exhibitions, including Joshua Liner Gallery in New York, Gallery Drost in Germany, and Gallery LJ in Paris. His works represented 
in important collections such as the LA County Museum of Art, the Berkeley Art Museum, and the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. He utilizes a signature style of densely packed, meticulously rendered motifs, archaic war machines, the iconography of the American dollar bill, and cataclysmic events, both natural and man-made, to represent the turmoil of the contemporary world. He makes historic references to antique etchings and Persian miniature painting, as well as William T. Wiley, M.C. Escher, and the Mission School street art. Andrew's art is very much his own, an intense vision of a planet threatened by overcrowding and overconsumption, and societies under siege by the governments that are there to protect them. I spoke with Andrew about skateboarding, the great music shows in Chicago, making murals and making paintings in the studio, and much more. Here's our conversation. Yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. I mean, I think too, like um, the one thing in LA where me and Hillary live now, it's like so quiet, right? And for years of living in San Francisco, we lived on the um, on the bus line, and so the San Francisco oh, yeah. the San Francisco bus line, they have this uh, these cables that attach to these like sort of aerial wires that you know that's what powers the bus line but they make cable car style right yeah they make these like whipping noises and then the bus stopping and so it's like you get so accustomed to these pretty you know pretty aggressive noises all night long but you just sleep right through it but nowadays it's like we live so quiet any noise that comes you're just like what's going on you know but um, yeah that got you up got spoiled but um yeah I'm a light sleeper, so uh, I love white noise because it just takes anything out. That's, you know, like any sudden noises, I feel like it mutes it a bit because you got that constant white noise. Right, right, right. Some people, it drives them crazy, though. Like, my wife doesn't like it. She's not into it. Yeah. I have, like, pretty bad, I don't know, I guess it's called tinnitus. I have it, not not terrible, but, like, and it's funny, the more people I I talk to over the years, it's like... um, you know, I talked to different people that were like in the music scene, going to all these shows for all these years. And then along comes the first, uh, you know, versions of the earbud and then you're blasting music in your ears. And it's like, I don't know very many, you know, people that were going to like crazy shows and all this stuff in the, you know, in the two, early 2000s and stuff that don't have <laughs> tinnitus at this point like totally yeah and it's it's crazy because i i definitely remember going to some shows too where um you know go out to eat afterwards after the show or something and then come back and then you know the people in your house are like dude why are you shouting <laughs> you know and you're like oh shit and then you're you know you realize you're uh your your ears are you're totally deaf you know what i mean everyone's on headphones and you know, cranking it up. And I feel like it's just going to be, you know, everyone's going to have that ringing going on in their head. Yeah. It's like, I can zone it out at this point, but, and again, it's, mine's not that bad. Um, so it's, it is what it is, but my, my, my dad also has pretty bad ears from, uh, years of flying in little tiny planes that didn't, that weren't pressurized. So he has hearing aids and stuff. So I worry about it sometimes, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. 
what are you gonna do yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's just uh it's just one know, I, just I've one of it. the five senses that's all <laughs> yeah that's I mean, I went to shows that my, I remember when I was young where my ears were ringing for days. Yeah. Like how much in that one night, like how much did my bloody Valentine take away from my permanent? Oh, wow. You got to see, you got to see them play. Wow. I never got to yeah. see them play, but I will say, I, I will say this. I when I one, when, where mine were knocked out for almost a year or not a year, a week was a, when Dinosaur Jr. Re, reunited, I think it was around 2006, and they played the Great American Music Hall in uh, San Francisco, and they had, like, the full-on stack of, like, amps, like, all floor-to-ceiling and behind them, and, like, I yeah, I couldn't hear, for, I, I couldn't hear for, like, a week after the show. I'm sure. Insane. You're probably seasick after but, that. Jay Maskus, like, you can... Maybe you can send him a letter and say, I want some of my hearing back. <laughs> I think he's probably missing it too, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. All the... I, how could he have any hearing at this point? Right, know? right. Some musicians, you're just like, unless they have those pro like earplugs. Right. Which then it's like, why are you turning up so loud if you're just going to plug your ear? It doesn't make any sense. For sure. Yeah, and I guess too. It's like for when you're young, you're you're just stupid. You're like, ah, it's fine. I'm just gonna listen. Blah blah blah. And then you get older, and you're like, shit. I probably should have put the. They were giving away free earplugs. Probably should have used them. <laughs> I know, right? But, you know, it's, eh, whatever. It's hard when you're young, you yeah. know, and you don't want to be that kid who's like 15 years old at the Fugazi show, who's like, oh, hold on, guys, I have to put in my ear, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Or you're wearing giant like NASCAR race like earmuffs to like block the noise. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's like funny though too because it's like I remember times putting them in and like having like a less optimal experience at the show because of it. So, I don't right. know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Um, but I remember there were kids, there were young kids even in like the music scenes I was in that were teenagers and they were just religious about it, you know. So, and they probably That's have true. really good hearing in their 40s. <laughs> good parents. They had good parenting. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I was occasionally jamming uh, toilet paper in my ears whenever I felt really sick from how loud the music was. Right, right. <laughs> I definitely did that myself, too. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it, did you play? Did you grow up playing music? No, I, I tried. Um, but, no, I didn't really i just messed around with it you know um but i definitely was heavily involved in like you know i would you know throughout my life i feel like i've always gotten lucky in terms of like um these weird little moments and different things that i've just because i'm in the right place at the right time i got to experience it you know and so you know one of those times was uh you know 95 96 90 ish Chicago um the whole music scene that was going on there and just you know just by chance I you know I was starting to get into more of this like I guess like post post hardcore post punk all this kind of stuff like um and then it just so happened you know go to a couple shows to see like you know bands that I knew of and then you know that's how it used to work back then as you go to see the band you want to see and then you end up watching a bunch of bands open up and that was used to be the way you would learn about new shit that you liked you know and yeah and um so you know it just so happened started going down to shows in chicago at there was a really 
great venue there for years and years and years called the Fireside Bowl. And a lot of, of yeah, a lot of times it was like all ages, you know, they would have all ages and then they would have, you know, 21 and over stuff like that. But, um, so I started going there and just kind of like really, you know, just dove right into that whole scene down there. And, um, it was just amazing, you know, because for, on a lot of levels, it was just like, okay you go to see this random band you know whatever friends band called hubcap and then oh well steve albini just showed up and shellac's gonna play a a set after they're done and you're just like what you know it's just like crazy stuff like that would kind of happen was happening down there kind of on a regular basis for a while and just not even not sometimes not even knowing who the bands were but just like oh i'm gonna stick around and check this out and then all of a sudden your eyes are open to this whole other world of of or whole other kind of genre or whatever you want to call it like of of bands or a whole other scene and um you know for me i just now in hindsight just looking back on it i just feel like really fortunate that i got to like sort of witness a lot of the stuff that i got to witness and you know, and then I, you know, it's funny because you think about it too. And especially in Chicago, there was a lot of kids that were like either late high school or, you know, early college, you know, we're talking like 17 to 21 ish. And they were all forming bands and playing. And these bands were just so short lived, you know, and, you know, but they made like amazing shit, you know, that no one was doing at the time. And, you know, and so just to be able to be there to see this band that formed for six months and made like an amazing record or something that, you know, whatever, just just to get to see that for me was just like super amazing. And, um, you know, there was a band that was like, you know, pr- pretty short lived in, in terms of the bigger picture, but like Cap and Jazz. I don't know if you're familiar with them or like, uh, yeah, I mean, I know. My my friend was in uh, Joan of Arc. So. Oh, nice, awesome! I love them you too. Know. But and yeah, and yeah. so they kept going with all the stuff they were doing. But like the 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 mo- the couple years that Cap and Jazz was around, I mean, this it was insanity. Like I I yeah. words cannot describe going to one of these shows. And I kind of you know discovered them just like going to a show in Milwaukee, actually, where I'm from originally, and. Um, I was into this band because a girl I was dating called Small Factory. And uh, so they were playing at the record shop, uh, Atomic Records. And so they played an in-store thing. And then they were playing at the Unicorn. And lo and behold, Cap and Jazz was the opener. And I just went in there and my like mind was blown. Like I was just like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, and yeah. and... From then forward, it was just like any time they played and, you know, I would go and it would just be like this. They would come and play, you know, this a house on the east side of Milwaukee. And, you know, you would have like a thousand kids showing up to see this band play. And then lo and behold, if they were playing at the Fireside or a Chicago venue, it was just like for insanity. You know what I mean? And And so, you know, it's just whatever. It was just this short lived thing. And, you know all those guys went on to do some of other stuff that was like some of my favorite stuff too. Like, uh, Victor Villarreal, the guitar player went on to do like ghosts and vodka. And then they did uh, owls for a while. And they, you know, all the projects that they did are just so amazing. And they just constantly were evolving, which I think is also really 
you know, for me as an artist or when you're looking at like art, music or whatever, skateboarding or anything, it's like, it's cool to see the evolution, you know, like just the way things kind of slowly change and then they kind of meander and then they come back to something that's more familiar or all these different things. And I, I really think they did that. Like Tim Kinsella and all those guys just did that so amazingly. Yeah. You were at like the right place at the right time with that. For sure. I mean, it really, it, yeah, definitely was a, a life kind of life changing moment for me and just sort of changed the direction of my like musical interests too. Like, you know, and nowadays it's just like, I'm, I like everything, you know, but you know, when you're young, you get into your like very specific thing and nothing else can kind of like come into that. It's just like, it's, it's either part of this or, or you don't want nothing to do with it, you know? So, um, yeah. but, um, at least that's how for I sure. was. You know, the band that I was in played a lot. The record label we were on was in Chicago, and we recorded at Electrical. And there's a long history of, like, music stuff in my life that, you know, paralleled making art. Right. What band? Sounds what, like, forgive me for, I should probably know it, but what band were you in? Oh, no, no one knows it. It was called 33.3. We oh, were just, okay. Like, it was guitar, cello, and drums. So yeah. it wasn't like... That's I mean, cool. we played with a lot. When we toured, we played with bands like Dirty Three and Ariel M. Oh, wow. Amazing. I love... But that love genre, yeah. you know what I mean, of kind of like yeah, yeah. mixed instrumentation and, yeah. you know, because we had a cellist, so it turned us into, right. uh, you know, a Not, band that would get put on bills with like any exotic instrument. I, I hear you. you know? I hear you. But I, we played with like Arabon Radar one time well, in Pittsburgh. You nice. Know? And, like we, we played with like... That's amazing, you know, though. Blackheart Procession and bands like that. So... um. But yeah, that connection of music and art at this, you know, it sounded like you had that. I mean, you weren't in the band playing, but you were right. sort of like creatively inspired and a parallel route to to making things. And you started skateboarding when you were young, I'm guessing? Yeah. Because it seems like it's big for you. I started skating in 1985, actually. <laughs> and now How old were you then? Uh, I was 10 years old. It was on my... Uh, my spring break of my fifth grade year, and uh, I got a a shitty Veriflex skateboard for for Easter. So it was, what's a Veriflex? I don't know. So what it, it was like a big big brand in like this early brand in the like I want to say in the late seventies. But then they were one of the first brands that just streamlined and started making like really cheap boards to put in like targets and like you know, those type of places, um, Kmart's and stuff that's like the same that. Kind I had, well, they I were had like a little plastic, like crappy. And it came to a point in the front of it. That was my first skateboard. It wasn't well, for tricks or whatever. Well, was mine was, mine was skateboard. wood. Mine was wood. It had trucks and it, it looked like ah, you were one up on me. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but that was, excuse me. That was my, uh, the first one that I got. And then slowly, but surely, well, actually, by by the summer of that year, then I had like sort of graduated on and then had skateboard magazines and then they had the uh, California cheapskates ads. And so yes, I, I, I my those. my first like a real board was a was a vision, the classic vision Mark Gonzalez. Um, oh, and the I, one with the, yeah, the stripes with the, around the portrait. Yeah, the face. Yeah, yeah. And so, oh, yeah, it was amazing. Nice. It was a. 
amazing to have that for my first board but also it was like i ordered it through the mail order you know like four yeah, to, yeah. like four to six weeks delivery so you're like you know <laughs> got it oh, done you're sitting there waiting for it to come and like you know that kind of thing and then and then it finally came and it was like it was so beautiful i didn't even want to set it up and skate it you know you're like no yeah, i can't totally. ruin it it's artwork like, yeah yeah i mean that's how it felt and then uh you know, and at the time, like the tricks weren't insane or whatever, but, um, but yeah, I, you know, I decked that thing out with rails and there were rails on the tail, a nose guard, a tail skid, like had that thing so, <laughs> so pretty. Weighed a ton. So, yeah, it probably exactly. weighed like 20 pounds. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have enough money for all the, uh, accoutrement, but I do remember my first board. I think everyone remembers their first real board, you know? Mine was a foundation Joe Lopes barbecue model. Wow. It was like a cartoon of a guy grilling like hamburgers. Yeah. I know amazing. the one. I know the one. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it, those, those are early memories, but Gons was like, you know, that, that was artwork. Yeah. You know, I remember a board that I have of his, which was just like a, a portrait of someone here looking at someone here and they were like cartoony and one guy was bald and the other one was a woman, I think. And, and it was like, it meant, I don't know why it just meant so much. That right. Skateboard. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the image of it and the feel of it was just so funky. Yeah. yeah, I love that stuff. Man. Yeah, and even the smell of them, like, because they used to use such toxic inks to print them and stuff, and they were oh, all, like, yeah, silk-screened right. and stuff like that. And uh, so I'd still remember, because I didn't set my Mark Gonzalez board up for, like, probably a couple weeks at least, maybe a month, maybe even longer. But um, <laughs> but I still <laughs> just, just sniffed al- it for always <laughs> remember the, the smell. And, like, yeah. every once in a while, I'll go in some silkscreen shop or something, and you're like, oh, the smell. Mark Gonzalez vision board like you know but uh yeah it's yeah it's funny I I mean I remember most of my boards and then you know up until a point and then you start ripping through them um right and then you don't really remember but uh a lot of the boards too from like back then too if you happen to own one of those now they're worth so much money it's crazy I can imagine yeah should have kept a couple of those yeah you know it's funny when uh when our hearing goes we can have the sense of smell of nostalgia you know like remember i'm i'm probably guessing at some point in your life you were you know in school and like in art or in art studio and you had that oil paint smell like in the classroom oh yeah yeah the turpentine smell and it takes you right somewhere you know and sometimes i'll go into a show i mean i work with water-based media now but sometimes i'll go to the show in like chelsea or something and there's a painting where there's a lot of thick paint and you get hit with that nostalgia 100 smell yep 100 (laughs) percent takes it back that just happened uh, when I w- actually going to see the Eddie Martinez show here in L.A. at Blum and Poe. Oh, yeah. Still, I could smell I could still smell the oil like on the paintings. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he lays it on thick. Right? Yeah. And what do they say? Like some of that stuff, when you put it on that thick, it takes like something like 30 years to cure something like that. Like I'm sure 100 yeah. like to 100 percent like, you know, right. Cure or whatever. But um, yeah, I don't use any of that stuff either and use only water-based stuff but um yeah i don't know i sometimes i'm jealous of people who use that stuff and i i don't i've tried to like detoxify my studio like 100 percent since for the like yeah. last 10 years like there yeah there was a certain point where i was just using so much toxic weird shit because i was like 
I thought I had to or something like that, you know. Um, some of right. the, some of those materials were like carry over from being like a graffiti writer and stuff like that, where you're like, oh, this ink that I use on the street, I got to use this on my paintings or whatever. And then slowly but surely, you're like, this stuff is gnarly, you know. And then right. yeah. you get not good you for get rid of, Yeah, yeah, and you know. It is what it is. I mean, but, um, you know, the body can cure itself. You just have to like rid the toxicities that are surrounding it first and then it can start to heal itself. But, um, exactly. Yeah. But, um, I'm always amazed at that statistic of like people who smoke cigarettes. Like when you quit, they say something like in five years, you can reduce the damage of like 80% or something. I was like, damn, that's pretty, pretty good. All things considered. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, that one. Yeah, that one in particular. I for me, I just I don't even understand why anybody wants to do that one anymore. And I did it for I, know, right? I did it for many years. I, me and me and Hillary actually met smoking a cigarette. Like I bummed a cigarette off her. That's literally how we kind of met. We were we were there you go. we were actually meeting entryway. Yeah, we were actually meeting uh, a uh, a friend of ours that both of us were friends with to go to. Um, the luggage store 20 year anniversary show and the a friend of ours that we were meeting we were both meeting at the same place she hadn't showed up yet and so yeah over a cigarette that's how i met my wife <laughs> there you go yeah but these days it's like you know when you see someone smoking it's almost weird you know, know. Like, really you're gonna you're gonna still do that it would be like when we were growing up the people were like you know, meeting someone who's like 18 year old smoking a pipe, you'd be like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) It's like going back in time or something. Yeah. Um, But I mean, it's, it's weird. It's weird too, because I I don't know if you have the same feeling or if you ever smoke, but it's like the only time I ever feel a little bit like, Oh, give me one of those things is uh, when you're in Europe for some reason, like in Paris or like, yeah. And you know, it's like you smell it and I don't know. And somehow it just, feels right over there but i don't i don't know i have no aspiration in in me anymore to smoke a cigarette (laughs) yeah i never fortunately i never got into it you know i never took yeah i think i had like you know eight in my life and i was never a big fan oh that's good that's good dodge that bullet yeah (laughs) (laughs) coffee however even in a band even in a band that's uh, yeah going on yeah we weren't smokers you know just didn't none of us smoked which was uh advantageous yeah for sure sometimes it only takes one but they were cheap (laughs) they were cheap back then so (laughs) that's true i know like when you see in new york city the prices for those things i'm like really you're gonna 18 to that 18 dollars or something (laughs) like it's an expensive way to take yourself out yeah for sure yeah it's not Um, fast food's much cheaper for that yeah (laughs) so when did you start making stuff I mean, I've been making stuff ever since I was, like, very young. Um, But I guess um, I would say I got serious about making stuff probably around, I don't know, high school-ish. I went to a high school in Milwaukee that had a very progressive art program, actually. Um, And so it's called – it was a Catholic high school called uh, Pius XI in – so, you know, that was one of the things that kind of drew me to go to the school. Um, you know, I don't know, little backstory about me, like, you know, going into high school, I was like, I was heavily skateboarding at the time and I was very pretty introverted, 
pretty socially awkward. I was into, you know, drawing comic, comic book type stuff or whatever, and skateboard graphic kind of stuff and, and graffiti stuff and whatever. And so like when we were, you know, checking out all the different high schools around Milwaukee, uh, and then I kind of saw that as a possibility to go there, um, you know, immediately I was like, oh, this looks great. And so, um, you know, I was, I was fortunate to end up going to like a high school where there was actually, you know, a, you know, a very progressive arts program and, you know, really progressive art teachers there. And, um, and it felt like it was important too. like, I, I think that's like, something that um you can't really understate sometimes when it comes to a lot of things is like especially when you're a kid I think it's really important to feel like you're doing something important you know and I oftentimes you know like you hear this kind of narrative of like you know the football players are the cool guys and then whatever and you know that was definitely true at the high school I went to too but there was a place for all of us kind of weirdo skateboarder you know at the time there was a lot of like goth girls and stuff like that that went to my high school and a lot of you know a lot of us we would we were in all the art classes you know and so um it was cool and the way the the program for the or the way the scheduling for my high school it was more like um set up like a college if that makes sense like so like you got to kind of choose the classes you wanted to take and yeah you had to man mandatory take like a certain amount of years of math and this and that but then you had like electives and so like you know not every not everybody was going to be in art class you had to choose to be in art class um so yeah it was that was you know a good way to sort of feel like there was some type of uh i guess future in in trying to pursue art um was yeah. through that i mean that's, my that's high school. you're kind of lucky yeah. in that sense because yeah and i would never have pegged a catholic school as having like a robust art program yeah i mean it's interesting it's kind of I, a funny cool combination you know yeah like it, usually god and art i don't know if they you know jesus and art are thrown together yeah 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 maybe or back in the day yeah yeah, I guess I never even thought about that, but yeah. Um, but you're right. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny, and, and to your point of like, you know, well, it, it's really a, advantageous and kind of a gift to feel that art is given a place of meaning, of value in an early age, because so often art class is the place where you just go like scribble and it doesn't mean anything. But the irony is, is like you're saying, like football is considered this really important, like it's a game and that's the really important thing right and the class where kids are trying to express their feelings and or get some sort of expression out is like you know a joke yeah it's like a messed up like algorithm <laughs> it's like the opposite of what it should be yeah and i don't know i i really don't know um if it's still like that you know and um yeah i have like kind of like um I guess, again, it's like it's it's kind of just by circumstantial luck that like I skateboard still like really hardcore here in L.A. And my age group of friends ranges from anywhere from like a eight year old kid to like (laughs) teenagers that are in high school to like 20 somethings to 30 somethings. And I'm in my 40s to even guys that are even older than me. So it's kind of cool in that way that like um I'm just around this huge like spectrum of like 
age group. So it's like um, you get the perspective of what the teenagers are thinking. You get the perspective of like what, you know, and at this point in time, too, it's like most 20 most people in their twenties are pretty insane. You know, it's like, and when I look back at how I was in my twenties, I'm like, wow, I was crazy. You know what I mean? But, um, but I think it's, you know, like sometimes I feel like too, just based on other friends that I have that maybe don't skateboard or whatever, or they're not around some type of a scene where they're around like a, a largely diverse, like with, through a you know and that's the other thing too is it's like culturally too it's like i'm around to so many different walks of life you know from so many different economical classes just through skateboarding alone and you know and i feel lucky about that because it really gives me like a a very um uh large perspective on like just where people are at you know whereas i feel like a lot of people are just sort of surrounded by like the people that do the same stuff that they do and are around the similar age and, you know, and are pretty much like-minded to them or like this or that. And then, you know, and you see kind of, or just in conversation, you can easily pick up pretty quickly, like, you know, like people have their mind made up about what's what and this and that. And I do feel fortunate in the fact that even sometimes I'll talk to some kid in his teenage kid in high school and he'll like change my mind about what i should think about say some rapper or something and i'll be like oh you know oh shit i never i never really thought about it like that and then i like go and listen to it and then i'm like oh you know what this this isn't this is cool you know or whatever so i don't know it's it's interesting you know and i i feel fortunate about that um i I agree with you and i have a it's not quite as connected with creativity as skateboarding, but um, I run a soccer club with a friend, and you know I'm around kids from ages like seven years old all the way up to eighteen, and it's so good to be around those other people and to hear those voices and to get your head out of it. I think so many artists are just in the studio all the time, so it's like you and you. Yeah, <laughs> which is, I mean, it's it's good in a way because you can really like marinate in your own like creativity or whatever but after a while it becomes like a feedback loop yeah yeah i would agree with that um no and that is awesome i mean on a certain level too it's like i'm sure you get to sort of chime in and be to somewhat extent a role model for these kids that you are in the soccer club with or whatever and you know and that's like a you know i think that's a pretty beautiful thing in a lot of respects because like you know, when you're growing up, I don't necessarily always think your parents can always answer every question or this or that. And, you know, and I find myself in situations where I'm kind of giving advice to younger kids or this or that. And, you know, even throughout that process, many times it's like I learn stuff about myself as well or, or, you know, whatever, you know, it, it goes, it goes goes in so many directions from that point but um i do think um you know being in your being in some sort of a community of sorts and and being able to have like a positive effect on you know younger a younger generation of kids or people it's like it's a really amazing thing that um you know a lot of times you can even take that for granted but um you know at this point i just i don't really 
take anything for granted anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, so. I completely agree with you. But And I feel like, too, that process of, like, having that engagement with that uh, larger community, in a way, takes a little bit of the pressure off in the studio. Yeah. I don't know, for some reason, I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to do what I want to do. And, you know, like, you, it, it's almost like you're not putting all your eggs in one basket as far as your weight, the way you communicate to the world. Yeah. One, I would say 100%. And, um, you know, and I lived like that for a long, many, many years. All I did is just grind in the studio, grind, grind, grind. Like, me too. And, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, you know, and it did get me to, you know, it got me somewhere, you know, and I, I have no regrets about that, but, um, but on another level too, it's like, you know, you keep, you're just like burning the candle at both ends. And I, you know, um, after years and years and years of that, it's like, I kind of found myself in a place where, um, a just like not super happy or fulfilled in whatever, what I was doing, you know, or like just now it's like, yeah, I'm in the studio. I'm stoked. I feel blessed, you know, to I'm in the studio. I get to make artwork. Like I never am, am yeah. unhappy to be in the studio. And I just kind of remember after, you know, just grinding for probably close to 10 years, just like not enjoying it anymore, you know, and just like constantly having this worry about how do I get to this next level? How do I get to this next level? And, you know, all of a sudden it's like, you're, you're like, Oh, you get to this, you, you see this place you want to get to like with, with your art career. And then you arrive at said place and then you realize, Oh, actually the place I want to get to is up there. And then, you know, and it's just like, it continues that way. Like you never, it's, for me anyway, it just seemed like I never got to a place where I was like, oh, okay, this is where I want to be. It just seemed like I would move forward and then I would realize that I needed to go further and I needed to keep going further and further. And it just seemed like it never ended, you know? And, and yeah. you know, for me, I found finally found myself in a place with that where I wasn't very happy and I was definitely not living um, a healthy life, you know? And right. uh, found myself, you know... 50, 60 pounds overweight, like, you know, just not even thinking about it either, you know, just like whatever, you know, this is what I'm doing and, and not doing really anything besides art and like, like, you know, ditching out on stuff that I should have been doing with friends or family because oh, I need to be in the studio. I need to be in the studio, rushing out of the house every day, go to the studio, get back to the house, work on stuff at the house. Like, you know, just neglecting like your family, your friends, all these things, just because you're in like this pursuit of this thing, which, you know, come to find out is really you know, nothing more than a glorified rat race. And so, you know, and for me, it was like, I, unless I was to like go through all that, I don't think I would have ever realized it. And, um, you know, and that's what it, a lot of times in life for me anyway, it's like been like, you find yourself in a dark place, but like when you find yourself in a dark place, it's time to like kind of maybe learn something about yourself. And then when you finally find yourself out of that dark place, you have to remember that place you were in, in that dark place right. and, and take that in consideration to the way you want to live your life in the future. And, um, you know, that was definitely a part of my whole journey with just being an artist and sort of just getting perspective on like what, 
is important to me in my life, you know, and, and, um, you know, one of those things is my family and, you know, and my parents and my, my wife and my child and her parents and so on and so forth. And, you know, and these are things that maybe I wasn't, you know, maybe I was taking those things for granted for a while and stuff like that. So, um, and, you know, and it's funny too, because like, quite honestly, it's like I run into people or artists around LA or wherever, anywhere really. And they're, and I, and I can just pick up almost immediately, like within a five minute conversation, if they're in that place and there's so many, totally. art, there's exactly so many artists, what you're talking about. there's so many artists that are exactly in that place. And I can just like, I, I can see it from a mile away. I'm just like, Oh shit, you're in that place. Like, and there's no, <laughs> and you and, want to tell them, but you can't, and right? there's nothing, you're nothing you can tell somebody to like, like make them understand. They have to like learn it on their own. It's like, it's like a friend of yours in a bad relationship with a, with a guy or a girl. You're just like, there's nothing you're going to tell them at that moment to make them go, you right. need to get out of this. But then later on may, you know, hopefully, you know, they, they learn and, and, yeah. um, you know, and again, it's like not passing judgment. It's not, to like say there's something wrong or this or that it's just like I suddenly kind of realized after just really grinding so hard at this art thing for you know well over a decade that like to put it very simply there's you know there is more to life than making art you know what I mean it's my passion I love it more than anything I feel you know very grateful and blessed and and to be able to do it and somehow make a living off of it but like there is more to this to this thing called life than just sitting in your studio being a genius so to speak so (laughs) (laughs) no i totally agree and don't you feel like because i had basically when i got out of school and i was lucky enough to start showing pretty shortly after so i was living off my work you know and i was just making work and i did that for like almost like 10 years of a block of just like working constantly and then i had a kid and that changed the whole ball game you know right. it sort of recontextualized everything but i feel like you know and i had a uh, professor who was kind of like you know a mentor to me and he was like be just be careful not to burn out and i didn't know what he was talking about yeah, like, yeah. i'm just loving this i get to work all day and you know but now i kind of see you know I, but i feel like the life experiences that you're talking about that's bigger than just only making art, like the family, the travel, like the, the doing other things. I feel like that stuff feeds the work in yeah. the long run anyways. Uh, uh, so in yeah, other well, words, it's like the feedback loop. Like you want to stay out of that just like, you know, me and my brain every single day doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, 100, 100%. And like also too, it's like it feeds the work, but it's also like getting space from the work, having time to just think about ideas and things before you just like make the thing. But also too, it's just like, you know, like taking care of your health, like taking care of your, you know, your temple, yeah. so to speak. It's like very important, you know, and especially at the older you get. And, um, you know, and I think what you just said, like, like I remember people kind of saying that to me too, and or to some, like some version of that don't burn out thing. And I, you know, and I remember for, you know, I was, um, uh, when I first like sort of moved to San Francisco, I kind of got in the mix with like different, um, 
like the mural projects going on there and like the nonprofit arts institutions and stuff like that around San Francisco. And I immediately kind of indelved myself in the community. And I did meet a lot of the like more, you know, they were just not so much super older than me, but just enough older that it, they were like a generation before me, perhaps, you know, and these are kind of people there that like sort of took me under their wing a little bit, like a artist named Aaron Noble and another artist named Alicia McCarthy. Um, there are different people. And like, so, you know, it was just funny because like, you know, just to be around that and see them, and then just be like, oh, I'm like going for it. And then like sort of I remember them, just some of them kind of even looking at me like, wow, this guy's insane. Like what, you know, don't burn out kind of thing as well. But, um, you know, it's you, I guess you can only learn through experience sometimes. And that's, you know. But then you have to go through it. Right. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you skateboarding and like all you care about is landing the handrail or the trick and you obsess over that and you get stressed out about it. And then at the end of the day, like years later, you realize, oh, it's just hanging out with my friends. That was what it was all about. Yeah. It's like going out and seeing the city and doing stuff. For sure. So, you know, it's in the moment is that you can't see the forest from the trees, really. Right. No, and I, I, I actually use that phrase quite often, um, too, but it's, yeah, I mean... You don't, yeah, it's, it's important, I think, always now for me to just, like, enjoy, like, the moment I'm in. And that was the other thing, too, with the whole, like, grind, grind, grind. It was, like, often, and I tell, I tell a lot of people, too, that are, like, having a lot of success or whatever, like, just make sure you enjoy the ride, like, you know, because, because at times I, you know, I have very fond memories of all those crazy stuff I did and trips and murals and all this crazy stuff. I have fond memories, but oftentimes, you know, I, I remember just sort of not really being present in those moments and really enjoying the moment of doing those things, a lot of things, you know, and nowadays I'm like, I really try to enjoy the moment I'm in. And like, I think it's really easy to just be like, so focused on what's the next thing, what's the next thing that you're like, forget to enjoy the, thing that is now and uh right living in the moment yeah and uh you know it sounds so cliche but i think it's it's so important and um yeah i don't know um well cliches are cliches for a reason right i mean um well let's as far as the work is concerned i mean it sounds like you started off from a more street combining your activities outdoors and like street stuff like what's the migration of you know from when you're a kid like coming out of high school going to this really cool art program and then figuring out how it fits in like being creative and how that you know changed over time as far as like how you were doing things for me um i would i would prefer to just do it as in like a brief synopsis but like you know i i basically got very interested in drawing at a very early age like we're talking like four or five years old because of my dad my dad would doodle at the table every night and I started trying to like basically copy off of him and then shortly after that you know around second second or third grade um we started to have me and my brother my brother who's two years older than me we started to have babysitters, um, you know, when our parents were out doing whatever. 
and we'd have these babysitters that were like really into comic books and they would draw comic books. And so of course, immediately, and you know, the babysitters are always these cooler guys, like guys at junior high guys or high school guys that I was like, Oh, this guy's cool. So I, you know, right out the bat looked up to them. So I wanted to emulate them. So I copied off of what they were doing. And then, you know, shortly after that, I sort of basically saw the movie breaking in beat street and whatever like these things and then you know there's a main character in beat street named ramo who's like says in the movie basically like oh how did you get good at this graffiti thing it was because he used to trace dc comics and then i'm like well i do that so maybe i can do that and so that kind of led me down this sort of graffiti pathway for you know at a very pretty early age like third grade we're talking fourth grade and 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 most early yeah, and mostly at that time, because I was also into the breakdancing element, like it was basically me and my brother would do graffiti on big pieces of cardboard that we would breakdance on the cardboard or whatever. And, uh, you know, and then by like around fifth, sixth grade, I, that's when I kind of got into the skateboarding thing, um, which basically I got into skateboarding because I was into BMX. And so I got into BMX and then there was a, a magazine called freestyling and it was more like the flatland freestyling on a bike f- tricks on flatland or whatever pegs and they were right? <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and then so they were like slowly starting to integrate uh skateboarding into that magazine a little bit and um so i was like kind of paying attention to that and that's what kind of sparked my interest in skateboarding so Basically, up until from like fifth to eighth grade, I would both do BMX and skateboarding. And then by eighth grade, I chose skateboarding over um, over BMX and then sold my bike or whatever. But, um, you know, and so really like being in skateboarding is kind of like what sort of, I don't know, it took me out of my neighborhood, I guess, so to speak. So like even in Milwaukee, it was like suddenly I'm spending lots of time downtown Milwaukee skateboarding or like we didn't have skate parks really. So it was all just, you're in the street basically. And, you know, uh, my parents kind of like, liked the idea of me getting out of the neighborhood I lived in because at, by the time, you know, I was in the eighth grade of the neighborhood I grew up in was kind of like, uh, it kind of turned into like a not so good neighborhood if that makes sense or whatever and so they were never really they were really never really bummed to see me leaving the neighborhood and going somewhere else to do what I was interested in or whatever and then you know skateboarding is what it you know basically opened my eyes to like all the music I'm into like all the art it's what you know it basically it was like the gateway to everything um you know and I guess like it's feels funny to sort of state that now because there definitely has been times in my career where I really kind of like um, alienated myself from it or this or that. Like I didn't want to be associated with it maybe or this or that. But um, just in hindsight, it's just like it's it really what like sort of opened up the whole world to me because the other thing is, too, is like with skateboarding, um you know, even on a small scale in a city that you live in, it's taking you to all these other places in the city. And so you're meeting 
other people in all these other parts of the city. Whereas like, that's not generally, a, you know, a teenager's experience right. if they're just hanging out in their own neighborhood. And so suddenly I know people on the east side of Milwaukee, the south side of Milwaukee, the west side. I know people from all over the whole city. And, you know, and then right there and then you're like, all of a sudden it's like, you you know, your, your world has just got a little bigger. Then as you, you know, as you get older and you progress and this and that, then maybe I'm going down to Chicago to skateboard or I'm going to, you know, wherever, like Minnesota or this or that, then you meet people there and suddenly this circle of people that you know is like expanding. And then the more people you know, the more influences you have, the more information you have. Because, you know, we grew up in this time where we didn't have the internet, we didn't have social media and like all these different things to just like, all immediately be informed about things and so like for me it was like always awesome to meet another dude who was like into cool music and then I would learn about other bands that I would have never heard of or you know this or that like um all that kind of stuff just sort of expanding your the world that you live in by like you know just relationships and knowing people everywhere and you know and that's pretty much how things went and then all of a sudden I'm, you know, traveling around, going to all these places through skateboarding and, you know, and skateboarding is pretty much what, how I chose to live in San Francisco as well. So, um, that's kind of what brought me to San Francisco. And I was interested in going to San Francisco for two reasons is because of, you know, for one, it was like a Mecca of, uh, skateboarding, but it was also a Mecca of like, graffiti in a lot of ways and it was not like the typical graffiti and that's the that's always kind of like the uh stipulation I make is it's like you know I I definitely liked all the New York graffiti and all that stuff when I was younger but like then I kind of started just through like you know ironically through things like Thrasher magazine and stuff would give a little play to like some of this weird stuff that was going on in the streets of San Francisco. And that's kind of what like sort of, and then there were other like graffiti magazines or more like zines that were like covering this stuff. And it sort of opened my eyes to like somebody like a Barry McGee or, you know, a lot of this other kind of stuff that was going on in uh, San Francisco. Um, And, you know, and so I, that actually drew me to San Francisco as well. And then, you know, of course, moving somewhere far away from home to uh, pursue skateboarding and, and graffiti art is not necessarily probably what your your parents want to hear. But, um, you know, so basically I, I tried to find like a, a, you know, the school I wanted to go to in San Francisco to make it sort of more of a legitimate, uh, you know, a legitimate choice for my parents. Right. And so I, you know, I, I basically moved to San Francisco to attend school, but the, you know, the main things that brought me to San Francisco were, you know, skateboarding and graffiti going on there at the time. And, um, I don't know if I'm just going on and on and on, but like, you know, quickly moving, quickly getting kind of in the mix in San Francisco, um, with, skateboarding and graffiti all of a sudden you know you're just it's like you're meeting so many people and all of a sudden you're in the mix in this whole new world of all this different stuff but I would say like for me like moving to San Francisco and sort of just seeing how um like really how community works on that 
on this very small scale was like really important for me. Um, and so like there's a mural project in San Francisco called the Clarion Alley Mural Project. And um, basically it's this alley that runs between uh, Valencia Street and Mission and between 18th and 17th Street in San Francisco, the Mission District. And, you know, this project was started by an artist named Aaron Noble, another artist named Rigo. Um, there were a couple other people who I'm their names are slipping my mind right now, but they lived on this alley. And basically this alley was uh, like really nothing more than like a heroin drug alley or whatever. And so their idea was sort of to start painting murals in it and whatever. And they were all artists um, attending the art Institute in San Francisco. So they started this thing and um, you know, and I had seen pictures of this place in Thrasher magazine and different things. And then just one night I happened to skate down this place and I was like, oh shit, this is that place. And there was like, there was a pretty famous mural by Barry McGee in there. There's murals by Alicia McCarthy, Ruby Neary. There were murals by uh, uh, Rigo, uh, Chewy Camposano. Um, and they were like really kind of in a lot of ways too, you know, this project was different because like there was a lot of murals and there are a lot of murals in the Mission District and um, it's a famous place for murals, but for the most part at this point in time, most of the murals were more of what you would call like a traditional Chicano style mural. And so um, this kind of mural project is sort of was like this sort of, I guess, the beginnings of like more avant-garde art being put in the streets, but maybe in a in a similar way in that you're just painting walls. Like it wasn't so institutionalized. Like, you know, for a year, for, for a century, we've seen very avant-garde art get put in our public space. But a lot of times that entails like million dollar sculptures that are put in, you know, corporate plazas or, you know, these gigantic multi-million dollar tile projects on buildings or this or that. But like, this was more of like an immediate, like, you know, someone painted a painting in an alley and it probably took them a week. And so for me, this all just sort of spoke to me. And so um, I just immediately was like wanting to try to figure out how to be involved in this project. But, you know, you you uh, you sort of can like sometimes from the outside looking into things, you think they're maybe more difficult or bigger than they actually are. And so I ended up just sort of contacting this project and then not even expecting to hear anything back, you know, just like, oh yeah, they'll never get back in touch with me or this or that. And like within a day or two, they were like, oh yeah, you know, come on down and we'll, you know, we'll talk, blah, 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 or whatever. And so, you know, and I, I don't know what it is, but it was like to immediately kind of be included in this, you know, community project. And then sort of just seeing how like all these different nonprofits, arts organizations or even like uh, political campaigns and all this stuff, like in San Francisco, you can really just show up there and get involved with all of this stuff on a ground level and you can just really make a difference. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what that is because I've yet to like sort of experience that anywhere else. Like um, even in LA, it just seems like to actually like get in the mix on like a major level with any of this stuff just seems like really, really 
challenging and difficult. And like, I think it's kind of set up that way in a, in a lot of ways on like, you know, in this kind of bureaucratic level or whatever, whereas like, you know, in San Francisco, you show up at some guy's office that's running for a supervisor and they'll, they'll put you to work on the spot. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, Oh, you fill out this form and like, maybe someone will call you or whatever. And, you know, so for me, like, and I guess I'm rambling on about this, but like coming from the Midwest where I never really was involved in any kind of local politics or any kind of really local community organization or anything like that, like, to just sort of show up there and immediately sort of be embraced and accepted into being a part of these things, it felt like really powerful to me. And so like, um, I guess, you know, for the first couple of years of living in San Francisco, I would, I was really heavily doing a lot of illegal graffiti and just in a very traditional way too, just writing a name, climbing up buildings, doing, you know, rooftops and tagging on things and doing, you know, very in the, in the most typical way you could really think of. And, um, you know, after a few years of doing it and then sort of just kind of having like what, what I was just talking about, this sort of awakening in terms of like polit, social politics, politics, just being a part of a community organization and, you know, just, having my eyes really opened up about this kind of stuff. I like the idea of just like running around the city, painting my name illegally on things. It just sort of didn't, um, it didn't resonate to me as much as it, it had in my younger years. I like immediately kind of saw like, you know, this sort of narcissistic, you know, whatever you want to say angle to it. Like in, you know, I, I wanted to sort of, I was like, I want to paint walls and I want to paint big things in the public, but I, you know, I want to like have these things kind of serve a a greater purpose, you know, and that was like sort of where I began with doing murals in San Francisco is like was on Clarion Alley uh, mural project. And I basically um, was painting a mural about like the gentrification going on in the Mission District. I ended up taking over a, a after-school program at Presidio's Mural Arts Center for a few years called the Urban Youth Arts Program, where you're basically working with, you know, anywhere from like eight, nine-year-old kids up until later high school kids. You know, I would, I don't like the term at-risk youth, but like a lot of them would probably qualify with, in terms of that description. But, um, and so I ended up doing that for many years and um you know and then just slowly but surely just by like you know doing some murals in the street all you know out of nowhere like I started to be contacted by some different places that were like interested in me showing work you know as well and so is that um, how the transition happened from like basically like outdoor to indoor in a way because it sounds like you really you know had a well, the social side of things and the community side of things has been so important in different aspects of your life the whole right. way through. So how did you, and you picked up all that momentum from doing stuff in the public realm that was sort of socially engaged. How does that transition into like you sort of migrating into the studio? 
Well, the whole, the whole time I was in school, so that's the other thing, is, like, this whole time I'm, like, doing all this stuff in the streets and getting into all this mural stuff. I'm, like, also full-time in, in school. And so I'm also going... Like to a double life? Yeah. <laughs> like that, you had that full, stuff, and then you had the stuff inside, too. Full-on full double life, like, 100%. Like, and, um, you know, and I pretty much kept to myself in, in at, at uh, art school in, like, for lack of a better way to say it, it was like, I, you know, and I now in hindsight, I look back on it. And it's like, why were people not really interested in being my friend at at uh, at art school? I was like this, you know, dr- I was like dready white guy with like who would barely take a shower or, co- or change my clothes. And <laughs> half the time I would show up to like figure figure painting class, like after staying up till four in the morning, like painting some rooftop and then just show up there and like, why is everyone looking at me funny or whatever? But you know, now I know I'm like, Oh yeah, I was that guy. But, um, but yeah, so I was like double lifing it for sure. But I was like always making stuff, you know? And, and, um, so to make another long story short, I, I ended up choosing this school in San Francisco called the Academy of Art. Um, and now it's called the Academy of Art University. At the time that I went to the school, it was not even accredited. And um, but, you know, I chose it anyway, because like, you know, like I was into comics, I was into graffiti, I was into this like very kind of linear drawing kind of stuff. And I was like, looking at the Art Institute, or I was looking at CCAC, it was called uh, CCAC at the time, I think they dropped the C sometime in the last decade or something like that. But, um, but I was looking at their programs. And you know, I didn't, I wasn't seeing anything in their brochures that was like speaking to me, you know, and so like, when I saw the Academy of Arts stuff, it was like, they had this illustration program in there. And so, you know, I, I saw stuff, well, this kind of relates to what I'm interested in. And so that's kind of what sold me on choosing this school to go to. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, that was the school I ended up, you know, I ended up being heavily into a lot of these illustration classes, which ended up just being brutal because, you know, it was like, I didn't want to make art where you're given an assignment, like draw this and make it to sell this or whatever. And so, um, I ended up not really being super stoked on being in the illustration program. So, um, I managed to like figure out a really cool department at the Academy of Art, which was the printmaking department. And so I started taking like silk screening classes and stuff like that. And then made some connections with some of the teachers in those departments who then, um, they, whatever, they saw what I was doing or whatever, and I think they thought, oh, this this guy's on onto something kind of cool or whatever. And so um, I was lucky enough to have a lot of these teacher, the uh, two different printmaking teachers offered me to have like independent study, so like I could get credits by just going there and produce like making prints or whatever. And so I hit out and I hit out in the silkscreen department and the lithography department at that school for many years until I, you know, finally had enough credits to graduate. Um, so I, yeah, I was like making a lot of stuff and I, you know, I definitely wanted to show work in the, uh, in a gallery at some point. But the other thing was too, is that like really at the time there were not a lot of galleries even showing like what I would say, what, you know, would 
fall under like what I was doing at the time. And, um, you know, so I would just be like approaching like cafes around San Francisco or this or that. And, um, you know, there was a cafe that I would go to quite often in the hate Fillmore district called the cafe international. I I believe it's still there today. And they always had art on the walls. And then at one point I, uh, um, asked them if I could show work there. And then they gave me a a date and then I ended up showing, uh, work, uh, on their walls at the, this cafe. Well, again, another thing, it's like, little did I know that, uh, Daryl and Lori from the luggage store gallery, they lived a half a block down and they went in this place every day. And so suddenly then they saw my work and they liked it. And then, they ended up offering me to do something in the windows of their their space and so that was how i kind of met them and you know and again it's a it's all all these things just sort of like connected you know in in these very very spontaneous ways and and um a lot uh, again too it's like a lot of times too it's like you know you talk to people or you do an interview for this or that or or even for a while i was getting invited to go to a lot of different art schools and do lectures or this or that and you kind of get into this mode of like oh well how do you how do you do this and you know I don't there was never any time in my life where like oh I'm I'm gonna go on the streets and make these murals and then in hopes that you know galleries will see my work in the streets and then they'll offer me a show in their gallery it was never you know I was just basically doing following like what I wanted to do and then like things kind of worked out there was never any kind of like formula or like end game in in my mind you know and so um you know fast forward you know to to like the last 10 years of like you know you this whole street art explosion and all this stuff it's like where you literally see people that had like a strategy they're like oh I'm going to go and plaster Chelsea with my work and then hopes that the right people see it and this and that and the other. And so it's like, you know, for me, I never really considered myself like a street artist necessarily. I was like, I was a graffiti writer and then I started painting what I would have called what I call murals. And then that kind of led me into doing stuff in galleries and then so on and so forth. But, um, you know, it was never... There was never any kind of like, you know, whatever you want to say, like uh, strategy put in place of like what I was trying to get to or like some type of end game. And oftentimes now, too, I'm like, I'm very happy that I had like sort of this this naive state of mind when it came to all this stuff, because nowadays when I just think about like what it takes to like succeed as an artist in this world it's just seems so overwhelming and impossible to me that like had I had any type of realistic grasp on that like when I was trying to go for that I think it would have been really discouraging um yeah it's best not to it's best not to think about that much at all right right (laughs) it sounds like the path you know I, I think about a lot of people who you know, have migrated between working on the street and doing studio work and, or the work is sort of like, you know, moved through different areas and stuff. There's a lot of, t- a lot of times people who have that past, like are really self-conscious about it or it's like this big, right. it sounds like you just followed the way, you know, you yeah. just kind of did your thing and it took you in all these different routes and it, 
And in a way, that's a real kind of like beautiful kind of unconscious way of like expressing yourself. You don't have to think too much about like, oh, well, this has got to lead to that. That's got to lead to that. It's just like you're just doing it. You know? Right. And I, I think, too, I mean, it, it definitely true, but I definitely would be lying to you if I w- didn't describe it as a bit of a double edged sword, you know, and um, yeah. and like. You know, it's like I've I find this so frequently and I'm sure you probably do, too. And most artists do. It's like there's a thing in this like whatever, because I there's so many different art worlds, you know, but I do believe like or I do feel like in general, like people want to put you in a box like you're this guy and I put you right here and and that feels safe to me to put you there or like, you know what I mean? Or like, yeah. And so it's like you know, for a, for the most part, it's really easy for somebody to just go, oh, you're this street artist guy that does this or that. And it's so it's like they don't even actually have to deal with like what I actually do or who I actually am. It's just like it's very safe to say that. And I'm not just I'm just using myself as an example, but it's like, you know, or like, you know, I skateboard and I put that out there like the, this. I'm about this or whatever. And I know so many like artists that are you know fairly successful in the art world that they would never let anybody know that they're a skateboarder or like even ever post that on their social media or like even show any type of affiliation towards it because it's like whatever it's like you know it doesn't go with this whatever this persona that they think they need to like maintain i guess and um You know, and I, I get it, you know, I do get it because it, it, that, you know, that's how that, that's how the world works in a lot of ways. And it's, it's, um, but for me, it's like skateboarding, graffiti, like any of these things are, they're, they're like, they're, they were part of the process that like got me to this place in my life. And I really tend to enjoy the process or just embrace the process more than anything even with my work it's like I so much more enjoy the process than the product of my work and um you know and I you know I always remember uh you know uh I know I've brought up Barry McGee a couple times in this uh um uh interview or whatever this podcast but uh you know, he. I remember reading from him like a long time ago in this uh, interview. I think it was for a show he did at the uh, the Rose Art Museum in Boston or something. They put out this little thing. It was like probably around like 2004 or something. And uh, he wrote how like the same person who, you know, wants to celebrate his painting at, at the SF MoMA is the same person that's really angry about the tag on the mailbox in front of their house. <laughs> And like how, you know, and, you know, and it's this way to separate these two things. And it's like one's one's part of the process and one's the product. And I I really don't feel like it. You know, I really want to embrace the the process and, you know, the product is whatever. I mean, I'm most I'm most in my happy place when you're like, you know, in install mode in the gallery versus like that you know at the opening you know what i mean the, oh the, totally the, yeah yeah no so. i i totally agree with you and i feel like keeping it honest or just being straightforward is so refreshing and i think at the end of the day people 
you know, respect that. You know what I mean? Even if they don't think it's their cup of tea or don't agree with the way you live your life or the way the way you feel about what you feel, there's something to be said for just saying, you know what, this is this is what I'm into. If you don't like it, oh well. You know what I mean? But this is what like lights my fire. And at the end of the day, if we're not motivating ourselves, if it's not our own thing, then who? What are we doing it for? You know, right. someone else, someone else's expectations. It's just, it's almost like a sad way to sort of, you know, be creative. You know, right. is to let other people drive that bus. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and I think that comes and it it comes and goes. You know, but it's also too. It's similar to like, you know, at times in I'm sure in your career, and I definitely have experienced it in mine, where like you know you you make this one painting that everybody wants and then, you know, the gallery picks up on the fact that everybody wants that that type oh, of painting yeah. and then it's like, oh, you just make a bunch like this or whatever and, you know, and like whatever. And I, I have, there's a definitely a re- repetitive nature in the work I make. I like to make similar looking things that are slightly varied. I've, I find a lot of enjoyment in that, so whatever but you know when it all of a sudden it it turns into this thing like where you know the people are like come on do the thing you know it's like and you're like no no i'm not i don't want to do the thing you know it's like it i don't know it, it is what it is at the end of the day but um that's that's but. the the age-old dilemma of like the one hit wonder or like you know the the song that everyone likes play the greatest hit or whatever you know and that's just natural human, you know, yeah. people like a certain thing, you know, and, and I think deep down people know that the artist is going to want to push themselves and not do the, not beat a dead horse and make the same exact thing over and over again. So oh. that's kind of like our kryptonite, you know, right? the For idea sure. of just doing the same painting over and over again, oof, it's like yeah. it gives me the chills. Thinking yeah, that. yeah. That might be purgatory. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Especially it's if it's like a real painting. pain in the ass painting, you know, like there's, oh yeah, like you a know, tedious one. Yeah, like it's yeah. like, this is the one everyone loves. You got to do it over and over again. Right. I've had yeah. co- people ask me to make commissions of work that are like other pieces that, and a lot of times it is stuff that's complicated or tedious and I'm just, I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Can't, can't go there. Yeah. But, well, you got a lot of stuff going on behind you right now. What's all that? Like, we'll talk about what you're working on. I mean, that's some, you got some colors, some explosions. And, <laughs> you know. I, I mean, I'm working on one show that's going to open at Hosfeld Gallery in San Francisco right at the end of June, um, nice. which is a gigantic space there. Um, I've shown there now. This will be my fourth solo show actually i've shown there since uh 2014 um but uh so that that's one of the main shows i'm working on and then i am going to be doing a little a little small show with uh, a gallery here in la in the next month called Cantor gallery um it's over in beverly hills and And then um, I have some work that's going to be opening in uh, Shanghai. They're doing a, um, I don't know if you've heard of this exhibition. That's They've done a few versions of it called Beyond the Streets. Um, it's organized by a guy named Roger Gassman. They did one in L.A. and then they did one in New York. And now they're doing one in China. And I will have a couple works in there. Nice. And then uh, my the gallery I work with that's, based in germany they're opening a brand new big space in paris and that opens in the end of march and i'll also have some 
work opening there. They're, that gallery is called Gallery Drost. Um, and so that's like the main stuff right now. And then I have a pretty major book coming out in at the end of June too, published by Paragon Press. And it'll basically be uh, the last decade's worth of work is in there. Or actually it's like not even close to all the work, but it's it's like basically 20 projects from the last uh, 10 years and that will be out as well. That's, so that's really cool. That's a great opportunity, you know, to have that. Yeah. Back, you know? Yeah. It's been crazy. I mean, honestly too, it's like, uh, yeah, really going back through all the work and ha- being forced to like sort of deal with what you did in the past that you really liked and maybe other things <laughs> that you didn't like as much and, you know, figuring it, you know, and editing processes and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but you know, it's, it's cool also just to sort of see like this mountain of stuff that you've done. So it's like, Oh, I have at least, I have all this to show for this last 10 years or whatever. Yeah, right. But, um, Definitely. yeah. Yeah, it's always cool to look back, you know? You can learn something from it, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I think, too, it's like sometimes you go, oh, I, you know, like it sparks like ideas. You're like, oh, I forgot about that idea or this or that. And um, I'm never never opposed to like revisiting old ideas, um, sort of like bringing them into the new, um, you know. Seeing it from a new angle, right? Well, in time, like everything post-COVID is now new. It's different. It means something else, you know, like our whole perspective is like completely altered, but you know, that's, that's inevitable. I think it's just sometimes it, it's more clear than other times. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I listened to, I listened to a couple of your podcasts, like during sort of more of the thick of the COVID stuff. Oh yeah. It's really gritty. It's really, it's no, it's interesting though, because it's like, it's so it when you listen to it and then you kind of can flash back to like that moment and like where your brain was at and then you're like in this moment now it's very different but like yeah. it's like you, it's like i listen to those conversations and i'm immediately like oh shit i remember this like and you know and it some of it just seems so like almost like funny at this point like because we were just so clueless about like what was going on you know what i mean right. and so yeah. like you know it's like who didn't have like a bunch of rubber gloves in their car and like scrubbing down like, groceries it's like <laughs> yeah and like leaving your house in your car with like that james bond fucking music playing like in your head exactly. done like mission impossible or whatever like it's yeah i mean and it you was know, real though i mean we didn't know what the hell was going on and uh, it was it yeah, really I mean, affected people and i think it's still real too i mean i don't th- i think yeah. it seems like there's some type of a vibe going on right now where people are acting like it's over but i don't know i don't know if it's over you know I don't it's know. not over but at least uh you know it was really grim in those yeah. early days so yeah i mean we've well, i mean i it you know and then having a kid who goes to school just them going to school is a blessing, you know, because being locked up in a room on a computer for two years is not the best thing for social engagement and growth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been stifled a little. Yeah. And yeah. But, you know, we yeah, we we were lucky. We found a sort of like a tutor nanny lady that would mostly do a lot of the school with our with our child. But um, but I did do it uh, for the first like. Uh, the 
first semester of like whatever when it first cracked off and then that yeah. whole first semester it was crazy i mean sitting there do, acting like you're a teacher it's not, i don't know it's tough man that's yeah. tough. it's i don't know that we signed up for that gig yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh well, you know everyone had to do it yeah. um i do have one last question for you and that is what what is the the album or the musician that you're really into at the right at the moment Wow, I mean, it might have to. I might have to say uh, it can be embarrassing. No, no, it's okay if it's Taylor Swift. No, no, it's not embarrassing at all. Um, (laughs) You know, I know a lot of times you get dick into the music stuff, so I was happy about that. But like, I really, really, I guess if I'm gonna just put one out there that I'm really, really, really passionate about, it's a band from New York City called Show Me the Body. And never uh, heard of them. Oh yeah, yeah, they're like. I kind of learned about this band maybe three years ago now, and I did. I actually did get to see them live in here in LA, like pre-pandemic. Um, but uh, you know, it's like a really amazing uh, group of guys. They have this label called Corpus, and there's several different bands. But they did they do all this community-related work as well, and um, I just really, really um, the music is like some of my favorite music I've heard in a long time. And, and it's, it's funny too, because like, um, you know, I like a lot of times too. Now it's like you, I hear these bands and I'm like, you know, and I don't know if it's like a, Oh, I've been around so long and I know so much. Old. <laughs> yeah. But, but then you're like, I hear parts of this band that I like in parts of this band that I like in parts yeah. of this band, but it doesn't feel like, Oh, that's a ripoff. It's just like, somehow they like combined all these elements to make this thing that's totally different than any of the stuff that I'm hearing, but it's really quite, yeah, it's really quite fascinating to me. There's another band I, I, uh, um, I'm super kind of stoked on too called, uh, uh, black country new road. And I think they're, uh, they're from the UK and um, you you'd probably dig them. I mean, they definitely have hints of like like Rachel's and Juna Forty Four and Slint oh, and yeah. um, and wow. uh, uh, little bit of Archers of Loaf. There's just so many different. Like I made a post about this uh, like on my stories on my Instagram like last week because they have a kind of a newish record out and it it's really a amazing record and and. Um, I said, oh, these guys, they pickpocketed every one of my favorite angular rock bands from Chicago <laughs> in the in the 90s and made something amazing. And it's like that's it, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's, I'm, it's cool. And it's weird. Like sometimes I'll hear math rock like a band like from yeah. Japan today who does like math rock. Oh, it's huge. It's, it's huge over it's there. It's kind of strange. Like, yeah. That it's, but it's really cool to like sort of see the second cycle. Yeah. Outside of the fact that it does make you feel right uh, aged. Yeah, 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 for sure. But well, um, y- you know what I'm gonna do after this? What's that? First, first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna put on Captain Jazz cover of "Take on Me" by Oh, uh, nice. <laughs> never, I love that. it never fails. You know, yeah. it always hits the spot. It's such a good, 
great track you know yeah love it got got to see it played live several times so i was I've, i never saw him live i mean oh. i saw promise ringing all day you know i was playing yeah. around that time but yeah, i never saw captain jazz live. i came to it during the joan of arc era so yeah but yep. yeah that, i can't imagine the energy and the the testosterone in the room and the sweat and the stink and well, those shows well what was what was funny is like i think it was like trying to remember the year it must have been around 2010 they did a reunion tour oh really yeah and they how hit, was that it was they were actually really really good they played at this crazy ass pl- place in uh, north beach in in san francisco and i'm forgetting what the name of this place is but oftentimes people call it it's like it's like you're at on the love boat because like it has like waiters <laughs> that wear like white coats and ties and then they had this cap and jazz show there and it, it was sold out it was insane and um no and it definitely kind of like took me back but i was like kind of like on a certain level i was like whoa yeah there's a lot of dudes up in here <laughs> like, right yeah yeah you, yeah, you realize oh but, that's, uh, this is the clientele yeah. but i imagine the energy couldn't have been at that raw early no those early no. shows must have just De- been like a powder keg of energy. yeah yeah, yeah definitely definitely i mean i grew up in pittsburgh and i used to go see like don cap shows oh and, yeah you know, and like the energy of those are just like you know it's you 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 you'd want to bottle that stuff. Yeah, know? I mean, I love that band too. I I saw I got to see them several times as well. But like, yeah, they're yeah, they're phenomenal in my in my opinion too. Um, in the live sh- the live show, Damon Che is is a character, and you know, an animal. Yeah. <laughs> <As> an animal. <laughs> hey, I knew, I re- I realized you were from Pittsburgh actually and I was going to bring that up um that yeah cuz a lot of people they're like oh yeah they're not f-. like some people think they're from Louisville and other people think they're from Chicago and like they're very much from Pittsburgh from they make I mean, it, yeah they make it sounds that like steel mills you know what I mean it, I yeah. feel like they encapsulate the sound yeah. of that city yeah. yeah yeah for sure it's, it's good stuff yeah um well, it's great to talk to you. I mean, so uh, so you have those shows coming up and where people can follow what you're up to is you do social media. I just mostly put stuff out on Instagram and, and that's just at A Schultz, A-S-C-H-O-U-L-T-Z, but, um, which is art, skateboarding mostly, some, some music right, stuff. Right, right. Yeah, um, I noticed lots but, um, of skating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still out which there. Which is good. Yeah, you're, yeah. Staying, you're staying active. Yeah, definitely. But um, cool, man. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to eventually to seeing the work in New York. I oh mean, yeah, yeah. I'm supposed to be uh, doing a show in September at Halsey McKay in the Hamptons. So uh, Ryan, yeah. there yeah. you go. Yeah, Sounds yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Get out there for that for sure. Yeah, and um, but yeah, thanks for having me on, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, awesome. it, was, it was great to meet, and uh, thanks for doing it.